Hello, everyone. I'm glad you've decided to join us on the A Friend For You podcast. We're a group of people that are interested in helping people get to know the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. We're in our second season, and we are looking at how Jesus picks a posse. We'll be spending two weeks per disciple, or, or three in this case. The first, we're going to be looking at how the disciple is called, and the other, we'll be looking at the most important interactions between Jesus and how the lives of those disciples were impacted by Jesus. Once a month, or every month and a half or so, we're going to be looking at having an episode that we're going to call A Friend of a Friend for You. On that episode, we will be talking with a friend that is doing ministry well. We'll find out how to apply what they're doing to our lives so we can all be more like Jesus. We are still moving and shaking at getting the message of Jesus out to people who need hope. Our numbers have jumped to over 1140 listens. We are in bunches of communities, cities, states, and countries around the world, and we keep moving forward. We keep making a difference for the kingdom of Christ. Uh, I see that my Peter Pirate pick caused a lot of y'all to laugh. Thanks for sending in the feedback, and I appreciate knowing that you guys are seeing what we're sending out. I pray that we're all hearing what Jesus is saying through these podcasts. We will not be double-minded. Our focus is on Jesus as we study how he interacted with Peter. Today, we're going to continue learning about Peter. The timeline of Christ is moving forward. He is toward the end of his earthly life. Peter is the strongest and the weakest part of the Jesus posse. He is all in, and then other times he seems to be all out. Have you ever been all in and then all out? I remember a time when I was meeting with a group of leaders from the denomination that I used to be a part of. We were all meeting together for a few days of vision casting and planning specifically for the youth ministry of that denomination. There was a lot of time for praying, playing, and partaking. We met at the denominational campground and uh, there were prayer walks and frisbee football, sharing the Bible together and life together. And the first evening, we were trying to wind down, and we decided to play some cards. <laughs> I know, kind of sketchy, right? Uh, we started doing some bidding, and really, to be honest, I really wasn't all that familiar with playing poker, and we're on our second hand, and I thought I had a really, really good hand. I thought, uh, as I remember, that the straight uh, that I had was, was good enough to beat anyone else, so I started to bid up the pot. Pretty soon, I was all in. I thought I was going to win the hand. By the way, there was no money. It was just for fun. Uh, but I, I thought for sure I was going to win. Two others folded immediately. But there was the guy across the table from me who stayed. Uh, I remember the senior pastor who had known me since the time that I was born. He looked over at me and said, I don't think I would be so quick to go all in. I called for the cards and sure enough, the other hand beat me. I was quick to be all in, but soon I was all out. Now let me play the other side of the metaphor just a little bit. I grew up in, the, in a denomination. I followed my father into that denomination as a pastor. I was blessed to spend 25 years in ministry in that denomination. I was all in. I knew I'd spend the rest of my life there. I knew that God placed me where he wanted me. He had called me to be a pastor. 
and there was nothing else I could see myself doing long term. It was my calling. It was in my blood. It was who I was. I was all in. Throughout my career, I spent 60 hours or more a week working in those ministries. I was all in. In fact, in my last ministry position, I averaged over 80 hours a week. Anything that was going on, I wanted to help out any way I could. I met with people. I did visitation. I did preaching and teaching. I helped set up and tear down. I was in prayer groups. I did enough prayer walking to circle those grounds at least 10,000 times. I digress. What I'm trying to say is I was all in. My waking, my sleeping, my best, my worst, my studies, my dreams, my goals, my hurts were all around the church that I was serving. I was all in. Have you ever been all in on something? It didn't take long before my all in was not enough. People started meeting and talking behind the scenes. The denomination started meeting with some of those disgruntled people. Uh, Another organization came in and they met with those same disgruntled, disgruntled people and they felt that I was not all that was needed. Then came the time that instead of being all in, I was all out. I was told to step down. I I was done with the church I grew up in. I was done in the pulpit. And today, I still don't even really know for sure where things stand with the denomination. I feel like a a lot of coaches in professional sports where, you know, there's a problem in the system and so they get rid of the coaching staff trying to create a new atmosphere. And I am all out. For two years, I've been walking and hurting and trying to figure out if I will ever be good enough to be used by God again. I'm trying to see what the next 25 years is going to bring. I I still have a word from God that I know He's placed in my heart, and I cannot keep that word in without feeling the same pain in my joints and bones that David talked about when he was outside of God's will. So I've I've done some things like I've I've written a book. The, The book is about the Hall of Faith and and Hebrews 11, and how those guys and gals, uh, they, didn't, they, they didn't even see what was promised to them. They spend their life serving and focusing on this, this vision that they have, and they never saw what was promised. And you know what? I, I might publish that someday. And then this podcast is another way God is allowing me to let His words flow from my heart to a few listeners. I guess this gets me back to the place of being double-minded am I all in after being all out am I coming back in after being somewhat out Uh, am I all in or all out and really that matters little compared to where I have my focus my eyes have to be on Jesus just like Peter when he walked on water my focus needs to be on him it is for Christ that I exist it is for Jesus that I wake up in the morning It is my Savior that gives me purpose, direction, and hope for the future that will blow my mind. Have you ever been all in or all out on something? The Apostle John does a great job of sharing about Jesus in his gospel we call John. He focuses on the love of Jesus As Jesus gets close to his purpose for coming to earth, the crucifixion, John details many of the interactions between Jesus and Peter. 
using some of John's accounts, along with some of Matthew's memories, we will continue in our interaction with those times when Jesus greatly impacts Simon Peter. In John 13, as Jesus is seeing that his time is drawing short, he is heading for some Passover festivities with his disciples. As the head of the group, he gets to oversee and I guess kind of emcee the evening. They are celebrating together and Jesus gets up and removes his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. As Jesus has decided to wash the disciples' feet. Now normally this was the job of the lowest servant, but here Jesus has taken the role in serving his disciples. After walking on those dusty roads and sandals, they probably needed to be washed. Not to mention the meal configuration at that time was them laying on their sides, on their elbows, and their feet were aromatically close to the person next to them. So Jesus starts making his rounds to wash all of the feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He gets to Simon Peter and Simon says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, I bet that Simon is arguing in his own mind, man, I missed it. I should have washed Jesus's feet. He's our master. He's God's son. And what he's trying to do is beneath him. And when Peter is asking Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? He is challenging the seemingly inappropriate behavior of his leader. His mind is being pulled in two directions. Let Jesus serve or force him to follow the normal, normal standards placed on him. Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Jesus is asserting his authority to do whatever he wants. And he asked Peter to allow him to be a servant and wash his feet. Peter again challenges Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. Peter would not allow his master such an indignity. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. This is pointing to having to be washed in the blood of Jesus for our salvation. So Jesus pushes hard and Peter quickly backs off. Peter does kind of a flip-flop here. Here Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And that part of me changes his mind. He flips from you will never wash my feet to not just my feet, but my hand and my head as well. Wow, this really shows the type of person Simon Peter really is. He's all or nothing. <clears throat> okay. I want to be all about you, so please soak all of me. Jesus responds, those who have had a bath only need to have their feet washed. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. We know the one not clean was Judas who would betray Jesus very, very soon. So Jesus says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set an example. No servant is greater than his master. Now that you understand this, you will be blessed if you do the same. At the Last Supper, Jesus shows that Judas will be the one who's going to betray him. 
Judas leaves to go through with his deed, and Jesus continues with the rest of the disciples. He takes bread and he breaks it, and he says, Take and eat, this is my body. This was part of the Passover feast. Now, the bread would have been unleavened bread because that's all that was available in, in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. It was a reminder of God providing ten plagues to convince the Pharaoh in Egypt to let the people of Israel go. The last of those plagues was the death angel. The death angel came and killed the firstborn son of all in the kingdom. Now God let the Israelites know that that they would be able to escape the plague if they would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. Then the death angel would see that blood and it would pass over the house. The next morning, the death angel came and uh, uh, every, every firstborn child and, and even animal was, was dead after the death angel came. And Pharaoh included his own son was killed. And so he said to let the people go. And the people had to leave in a hurry. So they took some unleavened bread with them to eat on their journey. And the festival of Passover is remembered as God's provision and the bread reminded them of the haste in their leaving Egypt. So Jesus, who is, by the way, going to be the new Passover lamb, he, uh, a short time after celebrating the Passover, he's speaking with the disciples and he tells the rest of the disciples, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Peter's not having none of that. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's feeling pretty good about himself. I've proved my allegiance to Jesus. Once I put my mind to something, I will not be pulled away. Hearing the self-assured Peter, Jesus has to let him know that he is getting off track again. Instead of focusing on Jesus, Peter's getting puffed up on himself. Jesus did not let that go unaddressed because once again, Peter is going to flip to another way. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It's like Jesus says, all right, Peter, let me tell you what's really gonna happen. Tonight, you will disown me three times. It will happen before the rooster crows, which is a way to signify mourning. Three times you will deny me tonight before tomorrow morning. That must have really struck a nerve with Peter. He was trying to be loyal, but he ended up being self-righteous. Jesus tells Peter, not only will you run like the others, but you will deny even knowing me. I'm sure Peter's thinking, no way. A little while later, after celebrating the Passover with his disciples, Jesus leads them to a garden. It's a place known to the disciples because Jesus goes there often to pray. Judas knew the garden as well, and he brings some soldiers and some temple officials there to catch Jesus. And in the excitement of of the guards coming and them trying to get Jesus, the impetuous one, Peter, grabs his sword and he tries to kill one of the people coming to get Jesus. Now let's say this correct. Peter does take action to defend Jesus, but he does not go after a soldier. He goes after an unarmed servant of the high priest named Malchus. Peter tries to slice off his head. He misses horribly, and in his excitement, he missed the head and 
slices off the poor guy's ear. Jesus commands Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? In the midst of Peter allowing himself to be double-minded, Jesus tells Peter, I will not be double-minded. I will take the cup my father has given me. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to the house of the high priest to be put on trial. Peter and John follow to the house of the high priest. A servant girl asks Peter, You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? Peter says, I am not. Peter gets cold and he goes over to where the temple guard have built a charcoal fire. He's warming himself with the guard while they are accusing Jesus. Someone sees Peter and says, Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Peter again says, I am not. (laughs) Matthew actually says he denied knowing Jesus with an oath. I promise you I don't know him. The third time, John tells us that a relative of the person who got their ear cut off says, I saw you in the uh, garden with Jesus. Matthew again says, Peter started cursing and he swore at them, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter left and wept bitterly. That is, of course, not the end of the story. Jesus is tried and sent before Pilate. Jesus is crucified and laid in a rich man's tomb. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb on the third day to anoint the body of her Lord. The body of Jesus was not there. So she ran to tell the disciples, Jesus uh, is no longer there. Peter and John, they run to the tomb to find that Jesus isn't there. And they they return to where they had been hiding. Soon, the risen Jesus walks through the door and visits with the disciples, letting them know that he indeed has risen from the dead. John 21 shares a story of our rock-hard fishermen. Jesus has appeared to the disciples a number of times since being crucified. Peter and six other disciples were walking along the Sea of Galilee, and Peter says, I'm going to go out to fish. And the others follow along. See, Peter's always been an influencer, and he still is. So the seven of them go out in Simon Peter's fishing boat to catch some fish. For some, this is a diversion, but for Peter, he is contemplating a return to his roots, to the life that he used to have. Peter tells six other disciples, I'm going out to fish, but that's a significant statement. On the surface, Peter's doing something that I enjoy and know. Many of us would love to go out right now and wet a line or two to get into nature and bring home some fish for dinner. But to Peter, this meant a lot more. He's considering returning to the life that he could go back to and be more comfortable. I mean, come on, no more crucifixions, no more moral challenges, no more unbelievable circumstances, no more personal failures. And about now, that's starting to sound pretty good. How do you think they were able to find the boat so quickly and the nets so readily available? This is Peter's boat and tackle. When we're doubting our Savior, Satan always provides another option. 
I'm going to give this fishing thing a try again. Now, Peter is still a great influencer because, as I said, the other six go along. Now, those six guys used to be fishermen as well, so this is a group not knowing what will happen next, so they return to the comfortable. Peter is a flood of emotions. His mind is blown. Jesus has risen. He's the Son of God. My sins are atoned for, and yet the guilt of all his mistakes, all the times he misspoke, those three get-thee-behind-me-Satan moments, and those times when he said, I don't know him. Would Jesus even want me to continue to be a part of his team? So they fish. And they, they fish all night long and they catch nothing. Now I have to laugh. We're told that Peter was a very successful fisherman. But the two times we hear of him fishing, he fishes all night and catches nothing either time. That's, that's funny to me. Jesus walks up and says, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> they have to say no. Jesus says, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They half-heartedly toss the nets on the other side. And immediately they are filled with 153 large fish. It's interesting that someone took the time to count the fish. John, he, look up, he looks up and says, it is the Lord. Peter jumps into the water, leaving the boat and the fish, and he swims ashore. The rest struggle to the shore, and Jesus invites the group over for some broiled fish. Peter climbs back into the boat and pulls the net ashore. Jesus feeds the disciples breakfast from some of the fish that he's already cooking. Now, I have to wonder, where did those fish come from? The disciples, they come over and they eat with him. And by the way, if the catch of fish and throwing the net on the other side of the boat sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly how Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John before. The difference is that this time Jesus is on the shore and the first time he was in the boat with them. Jesus knows what Peter is thinking. He knows that the double-mindedness is returning. Jesus immediately starts to jog Peter's memory. The fish Jesus is cooking, the fish is being cooked on a charcoal fire. There are only two times in Scripture where it mentions a fire of coals or a charcoal fire, and this is one, and the other is when, Jesus, when Peter is warming himself around the fire with the guards in the courtyard with the high priest. Wait. Why is that significant? Well, this is the very place where Peter's biggest failure took place. The mere smell of charcoal would have trans transported Peter right back to the place where he blew it. All he thought he was, all he was called to do, all that he had done, everything was being called into account. Are you one of his followers? I don't know him. Peter felt that he was the unfixable failure. The all-or-nothing double-minded person knows that once you make a mistake like this, that you might as well go back to fishing because it'll never be the same with Jesus. 
They finish their breakfast and Jesus has a conversation with Simon Peter. Three times, Jesus is asking the same question, it appears. But there's a definite, definite progression happening here. The first time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me more than these? Agape is unconditional love. I used to think that more than these referred to, do you love me more than these guys? But Jesus isn't saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than your boat, your nets, your old comfortable way of life that you're considering? Are you going to follow me fully or are you going to be double-minded? Peter answers by saying, yes, Lord, I phileo you. That means I love you like a brother. Jesus says, do you agape me, the unconditional love of God? Do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. The second time, Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter answers, I phileo you. The third time, Jesus says, do you really even phileo me? Do you even love me like a brother? Peter says, you know all things. You know that I love you unconditionally. And this happens three times. It refers back to the denials around the charcoal fire. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. There's an increase in the difficulty of serving here as well. Each time the job grows in difficulty, Peter is being challenged to accept the call to feed Jesus' sheep. Three times he is asked if he loves Jesus. Peter, throughout this experience, the failures of his past are not overlooked. They, they are addressed head on. Jesus uses all of his senses. He addresses his memories. He addresses his fears and even addresses those thoughts of leaving for the more comfortable. Jesus wants Peter, but he wants him to be whole as well. Jesus helps Peter to get there. The third profession of love is a changing point for Peter. He was finally able to say, I love you no matter what, unconditionally. There is no other thought. What is there in your life? Today, Jesus is offering to have some breakfast with you. Some fish and bread are nice and warm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is going to be some questions coming, though. Do you love me more than your past? Maybe there's something really awesome, prestigious, great that you're just not willing to give up. Maybe you're like Peter. Something so painful that it is hard to believe that Jesus would really love someone like you. It's hard to love Jesus if you cannot receive the love he has for you. Do you love me more than these things? For me to return to the charcoal fire has been difficult. It took me a long time to realize how much bigger God is than my circumstances. Losing a child was a devastating circumstance, especially when I know that God had named that child. He had plans for that child. How do you let go? 
I found out that I don't have to understand everything. I just have to love Jesus with all my heart. For me, the call back to my home church was amazing. I was thrilled to be part of a large facility, a large church with a history of reaching people around the world and a family legacy for me. But when God decided that it's no longer what he wanted, I was beyond frustrated. I questioned my call to ministry. I questioned my abilities and strengths. But you know, Jesus continues to provide places for me to share my heart on the scripture with others. But I don't understand why people hurt me. I don't understand why I got this diagnosis for something with no cure. I don't understand why loved ones die sometimes. Do you love me more than these? Do you know that God has an awesome plan for you? Peter was reinstated and he led the rest of the disciples. Jesus worked through Peter because of how great Jesus was, not how great Peter was. Jesus wants to work through you to do amazing miracles for him. He said, you will do greater things than I have done because I'm going to my father. You see, you do great things because of Jesus and his going to God for us. But the question is, do you need to go to the charcoal fire today? Do you love me more than these? So what did we hear today and why does it matter to me? As Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples, he notices not one of them was willing to wash feet. It was a common practice offered by the host of a celebration and and it was performed by the lowest servant. But Jesus, he removes his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist and he starts washing their feet. Now, Peter feels it's wrong for a great leader to stoop so low. Are you going to wash my feet? You're never going to wash my feet. But Jesus replies, if I don't, you have no part with me. Peter is instantly offering to be all in again. Then wash all of me, my hands, my head, and my feet. Jesus reminds Peter he didn't need a bath. He just needed clean feet. This is a reminder to serve each other. And Jesus has served them. Question number one. Why was it a surprising sacrifice for Jesus to wash the feet of the disciples? Question two. Why didn't Peter want Jesus to wash his feet? And question number three. Why does Jesus serving the disciples teach all of us? What does Jesus serving the disciples teach all of us? At the Last Supper, Jesus tells the disciples that you will all fall away from me and run. Peter, having none of that, says, even if all the others fall away, I'll never disown you. Jesus tells him, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. The fourth question today. What does Peter's bold statement teach us about being overconfident in our own actions? After celebrating the Passover together, Jesus takes his disciples to the garden. They're all familiar with it as they 
go there often to pray. And while there, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, brought the temple officials and soldiers to arrest Jesus. Peter takes his sword and he's going to protect Jesus, but he misses badly and cuts off the ear of the high priest, or the high priest's servant's ear, excuse me. Jesus heals the ear and tells Peter to put his sword away. And then he teaches Peter a valuable lesson by saying, shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Jesus is going to remain of one mind. Question number five, do you ever want to take your sword <laughs> to an anti-Christian person? You want to go whack them in the name of Jesus? Question number six, what is the valuable lesson that Jesus is teaching Peter here? Jesus is arrested and taken to the house of the high priest to be tried. Peter and John follow. It is in the courtyard of the high priest that the biggest failures of Peter occur. Three times people ask him if he's one of Jesus' followers. First he says no. Then he swears an oath that he is not. And finally he curses and swears an oath. He doesn't know him. The crowing brings conviction. Question seven. Have you ever failed so badly that you thought you could never return to Jesus? Jesus is crucified, buried, and raises on the third day. Jesus has appeared to the disciples many times by now. And after a few days, Peter is walking by the Sea of Galilee and he says, I'm going fishing. Six others go with him. He is thinking he should return to his old ways. By chance, his boat and tackle happen to still be there. Satan always provides a way to leave God's plan. <laughs> after fishing all night and catching nothing, Jesus says, try the right side. They do, and they catch 153 fish. John realizes it's Peter and says, it's the Lord. Peter, being Peter, he jumps in and swims ashore. The others follow in the boat. Jesus fixes a meal of broiled fish over a charcoal fire. Jesus addresses Peter. Do you love me more than these boats tackle in your old way of life? Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? One for each time that Peter had denied him. Peter finally says, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Peter. Don't be double-minded and get doing what I've called you to do. Question number eight. Why does Peter think of returning to fishing? Question number nine. Peter is challenged not to be double-minded. Do you love me more than these? Jesus is asking you the same question. Do you love me more than these? Those things in your life. Do you love Jesus more? Question 10. How do you see your role in feeding the sheep? God has a part to play for all of us. I would like to thank you for listening to the A Friend For You podcast. 
Today, we again see that Peter is struggling with being double-minded. He knows that Jesus has called him, but because of his failures and his lack of living up to what he expected he would become, Peter is ready to leave for the old faithful livelihood. He had enough of the inner arguments. He had easily been the most passionate of all the disciples, the all-in disciple, and here he's ready to walk away forever. That is when Jesus intervenes and calls him to return to kingdom building. From teaching a fisherman to fish for men to getting a sheep to feed sheep, Peter is called and recalled for the journey to serve Jesus. How about you? Are you ready to be all in or are you double-minded? Jesus is not done changing lives. He just might be calling a trucker to haul a message of Jesus to expand the kingdom. He might be calling a teacher to teach others about Jesus by the way that they live their life. He might be calling a nurse to help others find eternal healing. He might be calling a company controller to let him be in control. He might be calling an advertiser to help others hear the best message ever about him. Jesus might be calling a car salesman to help others travel to heaven. He might be calling a student to teach their teachers about the greatest teacher. He might be calling a government worker to be the voice of God in a place that seems so godless. He might even be calling a stay-at-home dad to reach people around the world with the message of Jesus. So how about you? Are you all in? Your past is past. Your future is in the hands of Jesus. Will you be all in or all out? Jesus is calling you. Today is the day to answer the call. I want to again encourage you to read the application questions again. They're on the Friend for You Facebook page. Take your time and answer the questions and see what God might be trying to speak to you. Again, if you're all in, I would encourage you to forward this podcast to at least three other people. Maybe you need to send it to six or seven or ten other people. And we'll see what we can do in expanding the kingdom of Christ. Thanks.